Right, it's 8.30, so um, welcome everybody to um, Strategy Cafe. Uh, my name is Nick Mayhew, um, founder of the company, and I'm delighted to have you all uh, online this morning uh, for our 25-minute um, uh, session. Uh, so this is our second Strategy Cafe. Um, there's a, a questions area on your panel, if you go and have a look at it. Um, please feel free to fire in questions during the session and we'll do our best to answer them. And um, Chris and I are gonna hang around um, at the end of the session for a few minutes um, to, to answer questions at the end. So, um, um, a quick uh, agenda for today. I'm going to just um, uh, give you a quick introduction to Olympic strategy for those of you who don't know us. Uh, talk a little bit about our next peer learning forum, London Leaders Forum, which is coming up in June. And then the first shot in your coffee this morning will be um, Chris Highland. We're going to be interviewing Chris, um, who's leader and founder at Four Piece Marketing and the Happiness Index um, shortly. And then following Chris's session, I'm going to be talking you through um, current uh, theory on team motivation. And hopefully, um, hopefully you'll um, really enjoy it. Um, so let's move forward. So a little bit about Alembic. So we help um, owners uh, of larger businesses with uh, leadership strategy change in M&A as um, they hit the challenges of succession, growth, competitive change, etc. Um, and um, I just really love this, so I thought I would remind everybody of what we uh, call the Alembic equation. So there's a few kind of basic components there. The first one is realistic strategies, strategies which are based on real possibilities and actual strengths in the organization and reachable uh, improvements. Capable and motivated leadership is fundamental uh, to um, hitting change, and then you've got to find the right way to do it. And if you can add those three things together, that's where we think successful change comes from. And our purpose in life is out there for you as leaders of your teams and your businesses to help you achieve whatever it is you're wanting to achieve. Uh, so that's us. And um, just a quick note on London Leaders Forum. So our next one is going to be on the 6th of June, um, probably at Little Britain, but we're just looking at the location, at the centre of London. It's 2.45 arrival for coffee for a 3pm start. And then the session will run 3 to 6, and then there'll be drinks, a light supper, networking. And it's for directors, uh, members, uh, invited guests, and uh, absolutely delighted at the next one, we're going to have Giles Fuchs, who's CEO and co-owner of Office Space in town, um, talking about their incredible business. Um, and I love that line there on the slide, our physical assets are important, but they're not what defines us. I think that's just such a great line. And um, it's a great opportunity to hear Giles talk about how he and his sister and his family business have made Office Space in town such a great success. Then we'll have a member case study, which is really a dynamic session. Um, one of the members will present a major challenge that they've got on a Chatham House Rules basis. And just get feedback from the group, and everyone always loves that. And then we're going to wrap up the session before supper with um, a workshop around getting things done. Just that um, way of getting a little bit more done in the competition on developing your organization so you can get a nose ahead uh, of, the, uh, of the competition. Um, so, uh, without further ado, um, I'm absolutely delighted this morning to have on the line uh, Chris Highland of 4P's uh, Marketing, who call themselves the Intelligent Performance uh, Marketing Agency. And you can see the 4P's Marketing uh, website and the Happiness Index web address uh, just there if you want to come back afterwards. These slides will be available on our website so you can go and check out his company. So, welcome, Chris. Maybe Morning. you can 
give us a um, quick introduction. Yes, yeah, so hi everyone, I'm Chris. Um, my background is I uh, founded a search marketing agency uh, in 2008 with um, a friend and business partner, Matt Phelan, and uh, we just achieved great growth. Um, we went from uh, three people in the first year to 70 people last year, where um, a acquisition uh, happened, and it was quite an interesting acquisition. It was um, what they called a reverse takeover. So um, they bought us, we doubled in size, uh, but we still retained control and taken over. So that's been fantastic, and out of that business spawned another business called the Happiness Index. And it kind of says what it does on a tin, really. It's focused around engagement, uh, measuring happiness, well-being inside businesses. Brilliant. Um, I, I love that. We were going to talk about motivation, and I just thought, let's just shift that and talk about happiness. And I always think it's amazing that, uh, in the old days anyway, I think things are changing. If you talked about happiness at work, people would think you were mad. Yeah. But then if you, said, if you said a customer was unhappy, they'd react instantly. And I just always thought that was amusing. And I was checking out your website in preparation, and I saw this brilliant blog from uh, Gemma Riley, who's your HR manager. And right. folks, go and, go and look. The blog reference is there. And she's talking about just how important happiness is for you guys. And uh, I love this. She put up that the core mission for you is that statement there, to strive for personal client and agency growth, I think, all at the same time. So that's just such an inspiring idea. Just maybe tell us about the vision and the mission and what, what's that about? Yeah, so, um, well, firstly, we're a people business. So, you know, our assets are, are our people. Um, I guess when we started the business, you know, you're very much focused on growth, 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 but then you quickly realize that in order to achieve growth, it's about investing in our people. So, you know, we're nine years old now, um, but since day one, we massively believe in striving for personal client and agency growth and the way we see it, the way it works is if we invest in our people, if we invest in developing them personally and training them, they will then uh, invest in the clients, they will look after the clients, they will take care of the clients because they care and of course if you invest in your people and they're looking after our clients, the agency growth takes care of itself. So that's in principle how it works. I think that's amazing. We were chatting about this yesterday, weren't we? And um, uh, I think one of the key things in um, getting fast growth is for the leaders to let go. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were talking to me about that scary moment of um, <laughs> letting other people make mistakes. Tell yes. us a little bit about that and how that felt. Uh, it's oh, it was a, it was such a challenge. I mean, you know, when you're growing as a business, it especially when it's 10, 15, 20 people, it really does feel like a family. Uh, and, you know, the, the two, m myself and Matt, uh, we, we felt like we were in control of everything. But, you know, you quickly learn in order to scale, in order to grow, you have to let some stuff go. So that also means letting people make mistakes. And it's been an interest. it was an interesting time because, of course, when you, so I mean, some examples, you know, I used to manage a lot of our accounts, some of our big clients. But as we grow, I have to let go and allow some of the guys coming through, the account managers, to manage the accounts themselves. Now, I'm a huge believer in the only way people can develop is by making mistakes. It's difficult when you're small because um, sometimes you see those mistakes directly in the P&L. <laughs> um, but I think 
you know, if I look at some of the people at this company now who have been here five, six years, they're here because they've learned from their mistakes and most importantly, they've kicked on from there and redeveloped. Yes, I think that's so, I mean, everyone on the line is going to be able to relate to this kind of issue and it's so fundamental in being able to grow and sort of leveraging your capabilities. But, you know, what was that like when you were allowing team members to potentially, well, I think you were saying yesterday, actually lose clients sometimes? It was, it was challenging, but I guess we had a real focus on where we wanted to go. So we knew we wanted to be seen as one of the biggest agencies in the country and in order to achieve that, we, you know, we physically could not micromanage or be involved in everything so I think the most important thing is you know when we did lose a client we didn't point fingers and say what the hell have you done it was more around okay what have we learned from this what can we do next time I mean it still happens today I mean even a few months ago we had a big pitch uh, for a big client and we came second and I think sometimes it's really easy to, to start pointing fingers why have you lost it but off the back of that, we learned, and you know, this week we've just won a, a big client from our learning. So it applies across everything, I think. It's it's great stuff. Um, and when you were talking to me about moving into um, setting up four Ps, you um, mentioned um, the big difference between the company you and Matt wanted to have, and the major agencies that you'd been involved with before. You know, to do, to do with this sense of teamwork, sense of community, sense of empowerment. And you talked a bit about this idea of the process police. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell, tell, us, tell us about that. So I, I um, look back at my previous background in my jobs as, you know, I had a good balance. So I worked for a telecommunications company of 25,000 people and I worked for a, a smaller uh, company of 100 people. And I guess I really got to see what I thought was good and thought was bad from both sides. So the reason we started our agency is because we saw a lot of the big boys out there, the WPPs, the publicists, of course they're huge businesses, but they are run through process. And the way, how I kind of define culture really is around behavior and, and trying, to, trying to educate people on what we expect from them. So. One thing that Matt and I have always really pushed for, and actually will actually get, I mean, I don't really get angry, but I will get angry if I see people not making decisions. So I'd rather people make decisions and get it wrong rather than not make decisions. And I guess the challenge is as you get better, we have a phrase, as he said, there called the process police, uh, where it's, you know, things happen and it needs to go through one person to two person to three teams. It's like, no, let's just make the decision because I, oh, that's, I'm a huge believer and that's how we move fast and keep the growth. So it's a huge part of, of, of what we do and I think that's a massive part of why we've been successful because we feel like we're more agile as a business. I think that's so amazing um, and um, it must be really important to recruit the right people but um, I kind of get the point now that uh, since you've done the, um, the, the deal and um, you're now 115 growing, growing really quickly. Yeah. Um, so there's loads more people right now. So how, how do you make sure that you have the right people in? Is there something special about your recruitment processes? Is it really environment? Um, it's interesting actually because in the past um, I, I was heavily involved in recruitment but I really just almost did the screening part. So I think sometimes you know you see your LinkedIn profiles, you get CVs. We're, we're a huge believer in people first, skills second. Um, yeah. we, it's interesting because I don't think we had a template for it, but I guess that 
my business partner and I had a feeling for what type of character, what type of person we're looking for. I mean, that gets harder as you get bigger. So, I mean, last week we've actually just brought our first ever um, talent uh, recruitment manager internally, which I'm so excited about because she's going to start building profiles on the types of people we want. So it's going to be even more effective in how we recruit going forward as well. Yeah, it's really good. I'm really keen to. Oh, thanks for thanks for all that. It's fantastic. I was really keen to move on to talk to you about the happiness index. So, yes. I think we first um, met um, when you came um, to, with your colleagues at Happiness Index. To uh, at that point, I think you're looking for sort of seed funding, that kind of mm-hmm. idea. And um, I just loved it. It reminds me of the <clears throat> excuse me, folks, the HBR um, approach, the um, net referral score. It's um, sort of kind of so simple, just. Let's get a pulse of the mood of the team today. And uh, those of you who know net referral score, you're kind of looking for a seven plus. It means you're sort of on the right track. Some mm-hmm. criticism of the scheme, but generally people think it's imp- simple to collect, and it gives you an idea of where you're at. Um, and you, you guys use the happiness index in four Ps as well, I think, don't you? So tell us, tell us about happiness index and how that works. So. The Happiness Index was originally spawned out of 4Ps, um, so my role, my former role used to be Client Service Director, um, so I just wanted some kind of pulse or measurement for how our clients and how our staff are feeling. Um, I, there, was, there was things out there like SurveyMonkey, which is laborious, um, but I also found sometimes that actually when you just ask a person, because ultimately we are dealing with people here, aren't we? Um, you know, are they happy with you as an agency? You you tend to get a real true response. So the challenge around for me around the happiness index, of we've got bigger, we've got 50, 60, 70, 80 clients. I physically could not go and see them all. So we developed some technology that allowed us to almost take a temperature, take a pulse of the business, both internally, so measuring the engagement and the happiness of our of our staff but also externally, again, measuring um, how our clients felt about us. And it was such a huge impact for the business, and it really kind of um, helped us accelerate growth that we spun it out into a new business. And we're three years down the line now, and it's developed in some amazing technology. And it's exactly what it is. I would say 75% of the businesses use it for some form of employee engagement, well-being, or happiness measure with inside their business. And they just get that pulse back quickly, and then they can react in a human way if they've got any um, news in there that they want to see. I just think yeah. it's such a great, great idea. I mean, if you think about disruption, you know, traditionally, or I'll say all big businesses, they do an annual survey. Um, but obviously, the world we live in now—if you do the survey in January, by April it's out of date. Right. Um, and, and also, these annual surveys are big, fifty, hundred, two hundred questions. This is just a pulse. This is four to five to six questions, just focus on different areas, trying to get a gauge of how the business is feeling, and um, and obviously it's all real time. It goes into platform. And yeah, it's, it's been it's been amazing. Uh, congratulations on both of those things, and I'm sure everyone's going to wish you well and hope that four Ps and happiness index go from strength to strength. But um, just from me. Thanks very much. Really inspiring. I'm sure there'll be questions, folks. So just fire your questions up, and Chris is. Um, um, agreed to hang around at the end to answer a few questions if you've got some. So, um, Chris, maybe you want to mute yourself right now. So, um, but thank you for that, and we'll um, come back to you again at the end. So, Pleasure. 
No, thanks. Um, so, um, shot two in your coffee. So, people, productivity, and purpose. So, here we're really just going to be talking uh, through current thinking on motivation. Um, and um, we're not going to be talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, which is the usual sort of stock cliched approach to this, which I think uh, somebody's opinion, never proven, no research on it, probably wrong. Um, so really looking at um, what's the current thinking. So you probably don't know who this guy is, um, but you can get a sense of motivation just by looking at these two shots of Lee Seedol. Top left, Lee Seedol looking really happy, Bottom right, Lee Sidol looking maybe frustrated, sad, a bit demotivated, possibly crushed. Mm, some consternation there on that face. And we can all kind of read that really quickly. And that just tells you what motivation is. Motivation is an emotion. Motivation comes from our hormones. Uh, the hormones in our body that drive that delicate, clicking chemical clock include adrenaline for the fight-flight response, uh, cortisol, which wakes you up in the morning, gets you alert, gets you ready and optimal for work. Too much cortisol, too much stress, you go over the top of the curve, you start to get withdrawal, you start to get toxic about emails. Ultimately, if it carries on, you might lead you to sort of mental illness and depression and withdrawal. Um, and um, catecholamine, sort of anger, uh, the anger, the anger hormones. And these things are, are chemicals. They act in a de delicate chemical clock in our body. They wake us up in the morning. They help us sleep at night. And we can read them on each other, other's faces. So, so here, is, here is Lee. Uh, his nickname is the Strong Stone. Those of you who do recognize him will know him as a ninth Dan Go player and also know that he was the guy that was defeated by Google's uh, AlphaGo in March 2016 by AI, and it was the first time AI had defeated a human in that ancient and complicated game. Um, and I think it's quite interesting to talk about motivation and team in a time when we're all thinking about artificial intelligence and robotics and how that's all going to shift things. And my point here is that you can read on Lee his feelings, his motivations, his pleasure and his pain. And the AI had none of that. The AI is just a computer algorithm that just runs a program, uh, analyzes the statistics, and you get a win or a loss. Um, it's the developer of the AI who had the motivation to create the computer program to beat another human being. And so really what's behind all of this is still that human drive. Now, the long-standing science on this shows us that it's pleasure that teaches, generally, this is a generalization, and pain uh, leads to fear and inhibition and tends to lead to withdrawal. Now, it's not entirely true, but the basic science is that if you give people positive feedback, if you give them pleasure, if you help play to their strengths, then that's when people learn and develop. So, um, because we're complicated beings, um, it's not just direct feedback from the world that causes these feelings. It can also just be our thoughts. We have this consciousness, this self-narrative, and so we can think about uh, something that's coming up and feel happy about it. And we can think about um, not being successful and become demotivated about it. We don't even have to get up and move. We can just, just the thought itself can be motivating or demotivating. So as a leader, you've got to be aware of that and be really careful because people, you know, you can't hear those thoughts. They're hidden inside the heads of your team. And what you say uh, is evidence to them of what you're intending or what you're meaning. So you have to be very, very careful about your words and your actions and your habits, your behaviors, 
because your team will read those and they'll think about them and those thoughts inside their heads are what will lead them to become motivated or demotivated. And I really love the stuff that Chris was telling us about this earlier on because really therefore it must be about environment, it must be about empowerment, it must be about the opportunity for applied failure, it must be about how you handle people when they make a big mistake that makes that difference. Um, the modern science on this really comes from a guy called Martin Seligman who had a blinding flash of the obvious a few years back. Um, he's a psychologist who spent many years discover, uh, looking at uh, mental illness and suddenly one day realized that being mentally unwell was not the opposite of being happy and becoming happy was not about stopping being unhappy. It was about doing things that make you happy and that's where the whole um, psychology of positive thinking has come about. Now if you want to test yourself on that and uh, think about gaining a persistent focus on what you're good at rather than being criticized all the time for what you're not good at, go look at that web link and there you will find the motherload of all psychological tests free and you can test yourself on a whole heap of different indices and your team and get some feedback on this. Now, when he originally talked about it, he talked about happiness, and I love that because it's so simple. These days, we all hear about well-being, and really in the science, we're talking about grit, so true grit, like the John Wayne movie, True Grit. Grit is defined as perseverance and passion for long-term goals, and I just love that phrase. And most of the science on this comes from a guy called Duckworth and his colleagues, and they've been examining this and testing this for a long time, and there is really strong evidence that if people are helped to gain grit or if they have grit as a trait, that is a noticeable point of difference in terms of predicting long-term success. And it's really strongly related to an old science test that you probably heard of, which is to do with deferral of pleasure. So when four-year-old children were offered a sweet now or the alternative of no sweet now but wait and you can have two sweets later, the difference between those kids that took the sweet now and those kids that were able to wait and get the two sweets later was a really strong predictor of lifetime success. And it's about the ability to regulate impulse, to regulate emotion, to think strategically and to make uh, long-term correct decisions. Um, so really, really interesting stuff. And uh, Chick Semihai is the guy that sort of developed this and talks about the way that these hormones work for us. So here he's measuring on the left-hand side challenge, on the bottom skills, so you've got low high on both indices. And the idea here is to get into that flow channel. So where you go above it, that's because the level of challenge you're currently facing is beyond your skill level. And if that becomes too high, that's where anxiety creeps in, where we can't sleep, and ultimately we might panic. And then on the other side of the channel, you get where your skill level is above the current level of cha challenge. And that's where we become bored, we become restless. And restlessness within a team really is an indicator for people wanting to move, wanting to move on, wanting to leave, wanting more challenge, wanting more interest and meaning in their lives. And so the idea as a leader is to help your team get into that flow channel. So that's where your current level of skill meets the current level of channel, uh, challenge just about. And in this channel, we, we become absorbed in our work. We lose track of time. We have a sense of power and energy. Our sense of meaning and purpose rises, and it feels like the real us. And that wavy line is designed to indicate that human beings are a little bit strange, 
And that sense of challenge and skill, that optimum flow is going to be different day by day, challenge by challenge, person by person. And that's the challenge for you as a leader because you've got to handle all those team members. And you're not going to do that by micromanaging this. So what you've got to try and do is create the atmosphere and environment where they get the opportunity to pick up and take challenges that they find meaningful and purposeful so that they can experience flow at work. So just making a sort of little point about um, the subtlety of a human. So, um, the, you know, I talked about pleasure, um, teaching and pain inhibiting, but it's not always true. So if you get the right environment um, and people uh, fail in the right environment, that can be really inspiring for them to rethink how they went wrong, get over their sense of defeat and crack back in with another go. And that's fundamentally to do with the way that you're thinking and to do with the direction of control. So um, we call this locus control, so a sense of where the control lies. So if your sense of control lies outside of you, so in the economy, in the banks, in customers, in competition, in others, in my boss, if my boss controls my life, then I don't have any sense that I can do anything about this. And if I have a defeat at work, I may feel crushed by it. However, if my sense of control is in me, rather than in others, and maybe the environment at work and my boss allows it to be in me, makes it in me, encourages it to be in me, when that defeat happens, I know the environment's going to encourage me, and that may encourage my thoughts to be more optimistic and may make me feel like resolving that defeat by having another go and doing better. And I think that's really a fundamental point. And we mustn't forget uh, that um, we're crowd creatures, we live in social groups, and those mirror neurons are striking up. So if you can create the environment where people are feeling empowered and able to take control of their own opportunities, of course they'll come in feeling like that on balance, on average, and people who are feeling a bit down today will pick up on that positive emotion. So it has a self-referencing effect, and it's really important to remember that and create the right culture. And I just wanted to finish up on that point, really, um, and just looking briefly at the current research, Harvard Business Review, um, this shows that looking at well-being-centered companies, they are great places to work, but there's no real correlation there with business performance. The secret combination that comes out of that uh, research is that where you combine this culture of well-being and a really clear sense of purpose, those are the two things that come together to bring an organization optimum performance. So that statement at the bottom, when the company is clear about its purpose, what it's aiming to achieve, and it is clear how my role contributes to that purpose, and the environment supports my well-being, then those people, me in that environment, they are achieving premium performance for their organizations and also for themselves. And so that, for me, is the take-home point from today. So quick summary, do you know whether your team feel happy? Maybe take the happiness index test. Do you have a map of motivation at your company that explains how to change that? You can contact us because we have motivational maps here. We could go and do some analysis of that for you and give you some insight. And just what is your plan to create the right environment, that sense of purpose, that long-term vision, and a culture that supports grit in your, your people? So just maybe just think about what's the one thing you're going to act on from today's workshop. And just a final point from me, remember culture eats strategy for breakfast, but strategy decides on the menu. So I hope we'll see you next time at our next strategy cafe and that you've enjoyed this morning. Um, we'll put up the registration in shortly and we'll send you a link for it and a recording of today's seminar. Um, the next one is 8.30 on Thursday the 18th of May. 
and it's going to be about making a brand that's bigger than you. And we're absolutely delighted to have Nikki Fuchs, MD and co-owner of Office Space, Giles's sister and co-owner. And she's going to give us a 10-minute interview as a taster for the Leader Forum around why property is not what defines us as a business. I hope you've enjoyed the session. Um, don't forget to book up for London Leaders Forum. Come and find out a little bit more about that. And we really look forward to um, seeing you on the um, Strategy Cafe next time round. Thank you very much. Oh, great question from Alan. Um, Chris, are you still there? Do you want to unmute yourself? Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> uh, Alan, Alan is asking, uh, do you have a great example of how you responded to something on the happiness index? Yes, absolutely. Um, two spring to mind. Um, actually, <laughs> many spring to mind. Um, I'm thinking one in particular, which was had a, had a huge difference um, for our business, which was feedback from both our employees and and our clients, which was we used to operate in teams in a way which was skills focused. So it used to be a, like an SEO team, a paid search team, an analytics team, and a lot of the feedback was was that we work with, for instance, multiple retailers, but we don't work in the same team. So we actually adapted our structure probably three to four years ago completely, where it changed to have vertical teams. And I know for a fact that that was one of the first, we were one of the first in the industry to do it, and the big boys are trying to adapt to it now and catch up. So that's one example. Uh, I remember the first time we did it, um, the biggest thing that came back was around personal development. So straight from there, and, and training, so straight from there we responded and put a training program because of course the most important thing feedback is you act on it. So if yeah. people don't want to answer the same question again either a month or three, month, or three months later, I yeah. feel like they're, they're not getting anywhere. So that's two examples. That's fantastic. I've got another question here from Katerina Gould. I hope you, Katerina, is still on the line uh, for you, Chris. It's um, and it says sort of um, Katerina is a fantastic leadership coach. Um, so it's a really coachy question. Um, so she's saying, as as a leader, um, just taking up your point about learning to fail. Um, how do you model failure yourself without unsettling your team? That's a great question. <laughs> how do I model fail myself? I think it was actually really interesting to listen to a couple of your slides then around that purpose and feeling like, you know, the most, like I said, the most important thing for me is that if I look at the start of the business to where it is now, the top line thing is that we are striving to be better and we are striving to achieve growth. So I guess even when I've learned in the past, you take it very hard. I mean, you know, I could think sometimes clients leaving us losing a pitch, even good staff members leaving. And I guess from my, how I react is it makes me more determined than ever to stop it happening. But rather than me individually trying to work out how, it's how can we set the business up in a better way to stop these things from happening going forward. And I think how what we've done really well the last few years is, is try and develop other leaders in the business. So it's not just Matt and I. We have 10 to 15 leaders throughout the business. So... I think that kind of answers the question a roundabout way. I think that's excellent. Um, from my perspective, one of the things we do is we just um, try try and. I mean, I I would I would talk about my failures openly because um, mm. 
crikey, those are the things that taught me most. Um, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's definitely true. Everything that I've done wrong is the thing, you know, it sticks in your mind and you think about how, how, did, how did that happen? What did I do wrong? How am I going to turn that around? And I just think that's such great evidence for everyone of how to improve. We also, um, um, we also share our KPIs, personal KPIs, are at, at, at our um, AGM. Because oh, fantastic. I want people to know what my purpose is and what I'm going to be measuring myself for successes, which I think people love. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, fantastic. Um, that's it for questions, I think. So um, I'm going to wrap the session up at that point and just say thank you very much um, to, to Chris. I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, the uh, the session this morning really great fun to talk to you really inspiring I love the fact that you've got purpose and have a good day everybody um, just as a final thing from me please tell everyone else that you know about Strategy Cafe it's free open good opportunity just to talk about how to improve things for business for us as, as business people and uh, we want to get out there and share our thoughts and uh, in, include everybody so um, please pass it around and uh, we look forward to seeing you all on the next one so thank you for listening and have a great day Thanks, Nick.